Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Murder With My Mother. I am Danica, one of the hosts. And I'm Christy, the mother half. Thank you guys so, so much for coming back for episode two. We hope you guys came back. We hope Uh you're listening. We're still working on a few technical issues, a little bit of echo and uh, figuring some stuff out. So bear with us. It's a work in progress. Yeah, I am a self-taught editor and a self-taught... I've had some help, Federico. Thank you. Props to Federico. Yeah, Uh, but we... Yeah, we are not, by no means, we do not have any technical, <laughs> like, it's Background. me and my mom, so, uh, um, yeah, but we are so excited to have you guys back for episode two, and we're overwhelmed with all the support and love and messages and texts and calls and just love that we've received about our first episode. It was extremely cool to hear your feedback. Yeah, it was cool because, again, that's a case that we hold so close to our hearts and through our lives, and it was super awesome that you guys all enjoyed that episode, and it was cool to be able to keep Rena's memory alive and really pay homage to what we took from that case. It also started a lot of discussions. Uh, There were a few people, a few of you messaged uh, on Facebook and said that you had known some of the players involved, so that was also extremely interesting. Yeah, it was cool, again, to open up the dialogue and see everything that came from that episode. And we are so excited to be back with our second episode, uh, cover um, a murder of a child today. So I know I know for myself, uh, ever since I became a parent, it's hard for me to talk about the murder of children, harder for me to talk about that than it used to be. So this might be a little triggering for some of you hard to listen to. So for today's episode, we will be discussing the murder of five-year-old Farrah Khan that took place in December of 1999. For those of you guys that listened to last episode, you guys may have gathered that we are true crime buffs. I basically grew up watching true crime uh, after my mom would soothe herself to sleep and watch it fall asleep. I just would pick up a Watch, watch it after you went to sleep. I'm not sure why it was so soothing to me to listen to Bill Curtis's voice. In my Bill head. Curtis is my real father. That's literally, I know, Maybe in my he heart. Maybe be your grandfather because he's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. So, okay. He's your real father. Yeah. I'll take grandpa. Uh, but for me, I, I have cases that stand out to me more so through my life. And this case just hearing about it because I was around the same, she's only a couple years younger than me. And I remember it was so shocking because nobody knew who she was for so long. Well, and that would really strike you when you yourself are a child that this could happen to a child. Yeah. Especially at that young age, not to sound like a weird, morbid, morbid person, but that, you know, again, I paid more attention to things like that because that's what I was always kind of into more the true crime murder and, Again, I have a podcast with my mom who's also into murder and we'd like to talk about murder and cases and we pay more attention to things like that. And the justice that occurred after the murder actually is 
something that's always fascinated me too. Yeah, exactly. I've always really liked forensics. Forensics for me are super cool because uh, especially looking through the years, all the cases that get solved with the technological advances that they've made and they continue to make through the years, it catches more and more people with so crazy. I love science. And this case actually is going to be a prime example of that exact thing. It was a usual day for Mary Smith as her and her dog Cody walked the path that they often walked through Colonel Samuel Smith Park, a park that was located in the Etobicoke district of Toronto. Now, I apologize to anybody from that part of the city because I practiced that. I really did. As Mary and Cody continued their walk on that brisk December morning, Mary couldn't help but keep her eye on a couple she had spotted along the edge of the park atop large rocks, dropping what appeared to be garbage bags into the deep crevices that separated each giant boulder. Uh, well, she continued to be curious and kept a eye on the couple, they suddenly finished and started walking towards her to exit the park. The couple made eye contact with Mary as they passed her and they even complimented her on Cody, her dog. Although they seemed pretty friendly with Mary, she assumed that they were doing something illegal, right? So an overwhelming curiosity came over her. It's funny because now as I get older, I pay more attention. People are doing things like if they litter, I can't help but call them out. Like, you don't know if that's something that happens mm-hmm. happens with age, but I can't help but see something and, and say like, excuse me, you're garbage or excuse me, you don't have a handicap pass on and you're parked in the handicap spot. Like stuff like that. Since I've gotten older, drives me crazy. I can't ignore it. Yeah, I don't And it's actually amazing how, uh, like, flagrant people are with doing things they're not supposed to. I see it all the time. People making drug deals or people dumping stuff they're not supposed to. And I think society, in a way, has just learned to look the other way with stuff like that. And I'm really glad that Mary did not do that. (laughs) Yeah, so Mary waited and she made sure they were out of sight. Once she could no longer spot the couple... Mary made her way over to the rock. She stuck her arm down in between and grabbed one of the bags that she had seen the couple dropping. Uh, To her surprise, though, the green double-wrapped garbage bag was warm. So at this point, she did think it was something like drugs or something illegal, obviously, that they were trying to bury because they were putting them down deep in between the crevices. So now she had kind of assumed that it was probably the remains of a family pet or another animal because of the warmth of the bag. But to Mary's shock, as she opened the bags, she immediately saw what appeared to be a dismembered hand and forearm of a child. Oh my goodness. Can you even imagine? Oh no. Like, especially you're, you know, you're on a walk, you're going to walk your dog on the regular walk. You're, you're familiar with that park. So in complete panic, Mary closed the bag and she ran as fast as she could to get help. She just she put the bag down and she just ran. Detective Rolf Prizer recalls getting the first report of human remains found in the park. Upon further investigation, inside the bag that Mary had opened, police discovered the right hand, forearm, upper arm, and thigh of a child they believed to be between the ages of 4 and 12. Oh my goodness. That's probably the worst thing you could ever find ever 
you don't go to the park walking your dog expecting to have a traumatic life event happen because that is something that would fuck with you for the rest of your life. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. Even Rolf Kreiser, if you if you've watched any uh, thing where he's interviewed, he's still extremely emotional about that discovery. Yeah, and he was a the captain of the team, homicide yeah the division. homicide division in Toronto. So yeah. So it was obvious because the body had been precisely dismembered that somebody had either experience or they hadn't done this before. And the cuts were very clean. So it made them think either somebody really knew what they were doing or yeah, it was, it was also obvious because of the amount of blood that was found and the warmth of the bag that this had just happened. It was very fresh. So on the next day, December 8th, Searchers found a second bag, which contained the left forearm, left thigh, and left upper arm from what appeared to be the same victim. Within hours of locating the second bag, they found a third bag, but they were still left without any idea of who this victim could be. Cadaver dogs came in and just to be sure that they didn't miss anything, and they had an aerial crew looking uh, above just to see if they could spot anything or notice anything. They also tried to use satellite imaging, just kind of to track down like what car maybe they saw this couple leave in or anything like that, but it was only 1999, so they didn't have as many technological advancements as they do nowadays. So searchers canvassed the entire area over and over. They had teams, but still there were no children that were reported missing from the whole city. And they had even teams going to schools, like all of the schools, public schools, private schools, any and every school and ask about children that were maybe absent or hadn't been seen since the remains were found. And at that point, did they have it on the TV? It was everywhere, like that these were found. Nobody was, well, again, though, they didn't even have anything to identify the victim or the gender of the victim because all they found were limbs. They weren't finding gender identifying pieces of, they didn't find her, the torso, they didn't find a head, they didn't find genitalia, they didn't find anything except for limbs. So crazy. So they had Mary Smith come in and give a description of the couple that she had seen in the park. Uh, she gave it to a sketch artist and sat with a sketch artist and once the composites were released, tips came flying in. I think that's always kind of how it happens. And she thought that they were actually Hispanic, right? She yeah. She she said that she heard them speaking a different language that she she recognized as Spanish. Okay. She assumed that they were Spanish, and she gave details of again two Hispanic-looking people to police. And after that, police kind of detained anybody that resembled that couple at all. They held them for questioning. Uh, Detective Prizer gathered a team and the main priority was only trying to identify their victim. So he had information from all over North America. They used the missing children's registry and they interviewed over 900 people. So that's a lot of people. And I know that once they do composites and stuff, uh, people come, like people call in, they get, you know, you see people yeah. calling in like psychics and which, I mean, sometimes could be legit, but they get so many tips and they have to turn over so many stones and that takes so much time also especially when you don't have a very big team and not very many resources to utilize because you don't even know at this point what gender child you're looking for 
So I guess they eventually analyzed the body parts that they did find, and that's how they found yeah. out her gender. Like I said, nothing. They had nothing. They like I said, they had limbs. You don't can't look at a limb and say, oh, that's a that's a male a girl's limb. Yeah, <laughs> that's a girl's. I mean, you know, you can't. So. Uh, yeah, they didn't even know if they were looking for a, a missing little boy or a missing little girl. They had no idea. The city, though, was so uh, taken back. Like, they didn't know how this could be happening in their own city. They had candlelight vigils and memoriams, and they were all held in honor of the child, uh, this child, this unknown God, angel, God. right? Like, there's this poor little baby that nobody's claiming as theirs, and somebody has precisely dismembered this poor baby too so city of toronto and beyond was in total disbelief that something so horrible could be done to someone so innocent and precious and that whoever was the was responsible was still out there and well that's just it i mean that's another scary thing is that would it be the beginning of someone that was abducting and killing children would it be someone close to the child well, you know the fear that it, it evoked in the whole community was pretty unreal yeah anytime a, a body is found let alone any body but finding a body of a child yeah it's super crazy i can't even imagine so once they analyzed the parts of the body that they had found they actually had a press conference where they showed on tv the x-rays of the child's dismembered hands and arms. And that was very shocking to the community as well. Yeah, you see little, these little limbs and these little joints that were cut with like the most particular precision. And th that at that press conference, uh, Dr. Jim Cairns, he was the uh, medical examiner. He announced also instead of Hispanic that they were looking for uh, a child of South Asian descent. And at this time, they actually knew that it was a girl. They found that out right before that as well. So now they knew that they were looking for a little girl of uh, South Asian descent. And they made a list up of all of the possible countries that were South Asian, just in case someone in one of those communities happened to know of a child they hadn't seen or a family that wasn't around anymore. And it was actually pretty amazing how they came to find out who the child was. Yeah, because the same day as the press conference was held, which this makes a lot of sense to me because I know if I were to see something like that on the news, that would really strike a chord with me seeing in the physical these little little dismembered pieces of this little baby's body. So the same day as the press conference was held, there were two detectives that happened to be at the Second Street School on something that was totally unrelated. Kindergarten teacher Heather Cartwright approached these detectives and voiced some concern over one of her students who she had not seen since the 2nd of December. The student's mother came in and let the teacher know that a family member was ill and that they would be leaving and going back to Pakistan. And this student's name was Farah Khan. Farah's mother had told Mrs. Cartwright that her mother was very sick, so they would be leaving on the 8th. But she didn't come to school on the days leading up to that either. Because the mother had told the teacher that uh, she didn't know if they would be returning ever. Uh, her absence wasn't really any cause for alarm at first. And because also they didn't know the gender of the child and how 
unbelievable would it be to be a kindergarten teacher and have this actually be the student that has been all over that is fucking crazy kudos to her for making the connection though yeah i'm sure there's a lot of people that take their children out of the country and it's never really thought of again yeah no and especially all of the children that teachers see all the time you know there's a lot to keep up with like yeah you take obviously you take that at face value if a mom comes in and it was like you know if you would have gone in and said hey i'm going to be taking danique out of class for the week no one's going to question you yeah not think that i'm going to take you and murder you so heather cartwright the kindergarten teacher happened to still have a sippy cup that was Farah's and a fingerprint painting. So the police took those items and analyzed them. And it was then confirmed that the child's identity was Farah Khan. That's so sad. You do these little paintings and you don't think that that's going to be used to identify your little body. Like that stuff's supposed to be given as like gifts for Mother's Day and stuff. Not used to... But now they have names of the perpetrators. Well, who they figured was the perpetrators. Uh, Her father, Mohammed Khan, and her stepmother, Kaniz Fatima. They'd come from Pakistan in April of 1999 with Farah. Upon search of their residence, neighbors all reported that they were pretty quiet and that they pretty much went unnoticed. People didn't even actually see a child living there. There was no, never, yeah. like a couple of the neighbors didn't even know that there was a child living there. And for a five-year-old child to go unnoticed, I mean, most five-year-old children are so precocious and loud and jumping and running and playing. And she was very, very quiet, obviously. Yeah. The landlord said that the couple indicated that they purchased their own home and now they would be leaving and they left on the on December 24th. So actually weeks after, so they probably thought, Oh, we're getting away with it for this long. Let's better not test our luck and let's move. And they left so suddenly that they didn't even uh, come back for their damaged deposit. So Detective Prizer found Farah's father and stepmother, Muhammad Khan and Kanis Fatima, at their new address. Put them under surveillance and then a couple days later, he arrested them and charged them with first-degree murder. Muhammad was brought into an interrogation room. And his story right away was that Farah was a hard-to-manage child and she didn't want to come with them grocery shopping because she'd rather watch cartoons. So she threw a tantrum. So they left her home alone. And when they got back, he said they found her lying on the floor, twitching because she had cut her own throat. Okay, first of all, it's illegal to leave a child home alone who's five. Yeah. And that's probably not something that happened because no no. well it could have happened look what they really did to her well i mean that's not something that probably happened that she slit her own throat no 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 i don't know if they think that that is believable or who because i think that it's hard for a big large adult to slit someone else's throat yes let alone a five-year-old and she looks little she was so she small. was 35 pounds oh my goodness that's yeah. like the size of that's so small and and to say to even try to to talk to a murder detective and say that my five-year-old threw a tantrum and split her own throat yeah like i have i've had a five-year-old yeah he was fucking strong and he could you know he, he could put up a fight when he wanted to but to slit his own throat are you are you kidding 
Yeah, it is pretty, uh, I mean, even the fact that he said that was... Idiotic. Idiotic, (laughs) yeah. So he agreed that he would take them to uh, where he had buried her torso. The only thing was at that time during the interview when he agreed to that, there were a lot of reporters outside uh, waiting. So the police pulled a bait and switch and Mm -hmm. they sent some police officers first in a car, um, I guess dressed kind of as a suspect. They like covered their heads and got into, two of them got into a vehicle and then the reporters I think followed them instead. Yeah. And they went towards uh, another different area where the, where the remains were not. So they, uh, Mohammed Khan took them to where he had buried the torso. I don't think they found it. No, they didn't find the torso. They found the bag with blood. Yeah, they found the bag, but they didn't actually recover the torso. Yeah. And then he also agreed after that to show them where he had um, buried her head, her dismembered head, which is so, so terrible to even say. So it turns out that he had actually gone to another park that was north of the water, um, and he had taken the city bus with her dismembered head in a backpack and buried it in a ravine under a rock face down, and they were able to recover her head. I always wonder what people... I don't really take the bus, but it's almost probably because I watch too much true crime and think everybody has a head in their backpack, but there's no way... like. To even to even fathom cutting anybody's head off, but like, just walking around with your child's head in a backpack. Yeah, your own child's head in a backpack on the bus. Like that is something clearly premeditated, evil, evil, evil. Like I can't even begin to gather my thoughts on how evil that is. But I probably should have because we're in a podcast, so I should probably <laughs> put into words. Well, I this just... one is a little astonishing, for sure. Very, very sick. Yeah, we watch a lot of true crime, and this one, I think that's why this it, this really has stuck with me, because this is so, like, you, you make a child and you raise a child, even if you don't make a child, you raise a child or you're around a child for a long period of time, any period of time. Kids are so lovable and adapt, they adapt to things and they're so innocent they're little innocent babies and at the end of the day if you're responsible for somebody and and this is what happened like you're supposed to protect your kids not dismember them and cut their heads off and that's not something you're supposed to do so it also came out that this was Farah's stepmother not her real mother um, the Muslim community once there was a picture of Farah released in the media the Muslim community realized that they all knew the family and they were aware of who she was and they'd seen her at their meals and at their prayers. And they also banded together and flew Shahida Jabim, who was Farah's birth mother, and her brother out so she could be in Canada for all that was going on. It turns out that Shahida had been involved in an arranged marriage with Muhammad and it was his first marriage and it had only lasted for four months. So the reports were that he was always denying the paternity of Farah, but Shahida let Farah come to Canada with her father and her stepmother in hopes of a better life. So that's very sad. She was devastated when she found out, clearly and obviously. Yeah. 
Um, and she, when she got here, they held a press conference with her, with a translator, and she was beside herself. Yeah, the grieving mother is probably one of the hardest things about when a child passes away to see again since I became a mother. Seeing that, and I've gone to a few funerals where people have passed away, you know, very early when they're young and you see the slideshow. And again, even I've been to some funerals where people are quite a bit older and their mothers are at their funeral. And every time it never ceases to happen because it's heartbreaking. Of course. I, I mean, I would have to be, heaven forbid, I would, I would have to be heavily medicated and probably couldn't even attend the funeral. I, exactly. you know, so I, I, my heart goes out to anyone affected, but the mother always, I guess, like I said, being a mother. Yeah. There's nothing like a mother's love. I mean, you grew that baby in your body. Yeah, exactly. So Farah's mother's wish and the wish of the Muslim community was that Farah be buried in Canada. And her father, this is a sick part too, is because he was the custodial parent at the time, he was actually the one that was supposed to make the call about whether or not her body was shipped back to Pakistan to be buried there. Some Markham City counselors, uh, one Muslim man, Khalid Usman, he started legal proceedings and wrote letters to convince Muhammad to have Sarah buried here because he said if her remains were moved to Pakistan, they feared that it would lose the interest of the courts and the public and that it would go really just unpunished. No one would really care about it. So Muhammad actually relented. We don't know why, but he relented and agreed that she could be buried in Canada. Maybe he, I don't know. There's nothing even, I can't even form words to say something nice about that guy. So I, my mouth closed. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, we can't even really speculate. He's obviously an evil human. Yeah. So when it came time for her burial and her funeral, there were over 3,000 people in attendance. And there were people, as they brought her funeral procession to go and bury her, the public was standing and waving with flowers and teddy bears and people were crying. She really touched a lot of people in the area. This whole case did. So another thing that happened at the service when um, Shahida was brought to Canada was that she got to meet Mary Smith, the woman that was responsible for finding Farah's remains. And apparently they bonded. Um, There was a translator. I mean, you got to think, Mary Smith is going through like PTSD and horrible nightmares. And she said it gave her some comfort to meet Farah's mother. Yeah, there not something that is probably a worst thing to find and that is such a traumatic experience that's something that is going to be fresh in her mind and I don't Forever. know. I mean I'm sure oh, it's yeah. And some people are more like visual like if I see something I don't forget it. It's like I have a like a yeah. you know like well, you. Yeah. Pretty much. So when you see something like that that's so horrible and so horrendous and you see that and you can't unsee that and then it's something that you're going to have to process and like you said go through counseling probably yeah. do a lot of therapy and probably being able to see and connect to Farah's mother maybe made her feel better and actually we'll post some pictures uh on our instagram page and our website of 
Sarah and her mother and um, you can see how much they look alike actually. Yeah. It's like a little mini version of her mommy. Yeah. So I'm glad that it gave Mary Smith some closure because she really helped you with the the composites and sitting with the sketch artist and really paying attention and really being attentive in the park. You know, you go walk your dog at a park, you don't expect to help solve a little girl's murder, but that is something that's going to take a toll on your whole entire life. Well, and if if she hadn't done anything, then it probably wouldn't have even realized that she was even missing because she, the parents had alibied her saying they were taking her out of the country. Well, and they were digging down deep in between these huge like I will also put a picture of the the rocks and yeah, stuff that is very interesting because actually. yeah they were huge giant boulders in a very busy park but the these boulders you're how often do you reach deep in between these boulders to go in you know you don't especially in a lake yeah right on Lake Ontario yeah, yeah it's a pretty wild place like it wasn't it wasn't like in the mainstream part of society that's for sure so it actually took about four years for them to come to trial for their crime, which was such a travesty of justice. Four years. Yeah, they had the lawyers dismissed a bunch of the evidence that they had. Yeah, they got a lot. a lot of their stuff like taken off so that they couldn't even bring that to trial. So Mohammed changed his story when it was time to come in to trial. He changed Smart his, idea. Yeah. Because your story fucking sucks. <laughs> His ridiculous story uh, was changed to him and Kanise both said that he had accidentally killed her when he was punishing her for stealing cookies, which is also ridiculous. Yeah, because that, oh yeah, you took some cookies, let me kill you. Like, let me beat you up so badly till you die and then I have to dismember you. So that was his end story. Later, uh, Kanise said that she had tried to help, but... He, she was scared of him. Basically, yeah, she, was she tried of to him, say. And so she just sat on the couch and watched as he beat her to death. I but, think she also said that that was a pretty regular occurrence that she yeah. would, he would beat her up all the time, and he was very, very disciplinary and very heavy-handed, obviously. And she would run away, like she would run away. Be she would be t- chasing her all over the apartment, and like crazy that the neighbors didn't hear anything well and when they did her autopsy there was a lot of um trauma to like previous trauma mm-hmm. to her bones and stuff so clearly he'd been for a long time for years probably her whole she was yeah. only five so she probably lived a horrible little life coming from pakistan being taken her mom thought she was sending her to have a better life and she's to be honest that's what the father says but i yeah okay i've had a mean stepmom i know that stepmom's can be mean. So there's no way that someone could sit there and have nothing. You're not the nice one in this. There's no way that you're sitting there at a park dropping these bags of body parts off because you are scared of this guy. You clearly had a little bit more to do with this. Well, and they said because Mohammed was working so many hours in a day and Farah had so many bruises all over her body that they were pretty sure that Finis was also using her with brushes and hitting her and stuff like that which of course she was yeah how could you sit back and watch a little girl be disciplined so brutally and just turn your head to it if if that was happening under your nose in your own house right in front of you and you didn't agree with it there's gonna be something put up she would have been hit or she would have had you know he would have he wouldn't have just taken it out on Farah. it would have been the both of them if you know some more evidence 
that was withheld, that was apparently suggested by people that were close to the family, is that Muhammad had, uh, first of all, disputed the fact that Farah was his daughter. He referred to her as the bastard child. Nice. Another thing was that he um, had a life insurance policy on her in Pakistan, mm. but none of that was admissible. Hmm. That's so, always how it seems to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, it does all... The jury didn't hear any of that. No, she just slit her own throat when yeah. she went to the grocery store because she couldn't watch cartoons. For sure, that's what happened. So the jury still knew that he was full of shit and yeah. found him guilty of first-degree murder. He will never get him. Good. There's not a lot of nice things I can say about the Canadian justice system, but... That is a good one. If he's never going to get out, like... Well, on the other hand, though, Kaniz is rumored to already be out. She got oh. charged with second-degree murder. And oh, Canada. Global TV tried to ask the justice system if she was out because there were rumors that she was already released for time served, and they were refused an answer. So that speaks for itself. Yeah. Oh, God. Gotta yeah. love the Canadian justice system. <laughs> So, if you ever want to do a crime, no, come to Canada. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't. So we don't have a lot of information on Farah before she was murdered, except for that she would frequently go for lunch at classmates' houses, and once in a while she would go to friends' houses, um, and and people all said that she was a super sweet quiet happy little girl and maybe a little timid but that really does make sense considering what she was going through at home yeah and for her father to say that she was a behavioral child and had these horrible behavioral problems and always being disciplined he was mirroring himself yeah you're yeah. you're projecting dude that's literally she was seemed like the sweetest little innocent little baby and so uh where you know where she's buried and stuff like that yeah so Farah is buried at the Beechwood Cemetery in Ontario, Canada. Uh, her mother did come to Canada for the funeral and, and the trial. Uh, but after that, she did go back to Pakistan. But then she returned and she actually is now living in Canada. She immigrated. Yeah. And it must be nice because she probably feels like she's closer to, to Farah and she's able to go and visit her. And obviously not in the way that she wishes she could visit her. But when you have lost a child in such a horrible way, to be able to be close to her and honor her memory is probably very important to her mom. Such a terribly sad case. Really glad that we got to cover it, though. It kind of shows the importance of paying attention to things in your community and children and your surroundings and your neighborhood being diligent with being a busybody basically <laughs> yeah and really paying attention to your surroundings like you said paying attention to okay that person's doing something suspicious okay we live in a time where there's all those shows where they, sh they film people with people doing something and see their reactions don't just do it because something like that you know go with your gut listen to your intuition if something's telling you those people are doing something that looks like they shouldn't be doing that. Stick up for your community. Be vigilant. We were given our intuition for a reason. Let's use it. Exactly. If anybody agrees with you, it's me. That's for sure. <laughs> I think something I really take from this case is a sense of community because this really affected the whole community of Toronto and further than Toronto, Canada. You know, anyone that heard this would have connected with it. But it was really sad for the city to have, it was almost a month, a month and a half that 
They didn't have any idea who this child was. So the city really took this child as their unknown angel. You know, this was a, a big case that affected a lot of people. And anybody that I've spoken to from that area that is old enough to remember this, say they were in their teens or a little bit younger, they say that that really stopped the city for a while and everybody came together. And I know that obviously something like the death of a child is not the way we want to bring a city together, but it's really amazing to see how everybody can band together to help solve something like this and bring her predators and her abusers and her murderers to justice. Toba Coke, good job. <laughs> see, I mastered it, so... Thank you guys so much. It means the world to us that you guys are listening and tuning in. And we are on every major platform now. We just got on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Uh, you guys can go to our website. Oh, Spotify, yeah, Pandora. Yeah, you guys can even go to our website, which is www.murderwithmymotherpodcast.com. Uh, there is a option there if you guys have not done it yet to enroll in our mailing list so you guys can be the first to know about new episodes when they drop. Uh, we're also starting a little blog on there. We have a list of the cases that we'd like to cover, but we would love to hear from you guys about cases that would interest you guys in hearing us talk about. That would be awesome, actually, to keep you guys riveted. And I know there are some cases that have been done a lot of times, and maybe you know of a case that we could do that hits close to your heart that we might want to research and bring to you in our mother-daughter style. Look into those and do our research and hopefully bring you another episode on something that you really want to hear. Hope you guys all enjoy listening to this episode, even though it was hard to hear. And hey, holler at us though. Let us know who you are, where you're listening from. Yeah. We'd love to connect with some of you that we don't know. And those of you that we do know and haven't heard from for such a long time, like I had a couple cousins message me that I haven't spoken to for so long and it was so great to reconnect. Yeah, I have, uh, same thing. I've had like DMs, texts, phone calls and the amount of support I see people sharing it, the people we do know. It's so nice and so supportive and we love all of you guys. I love it. Yes. So until next time, come back next Thursday to listen to me talk murder with my mother.